All right. Um, welcome to Cross Life, ladies. Uh, my name is Callie Alberta, and I've been coming to Cross Life the past year, I think. So coming up on the one-year anniversary for Cross Life. Um, but I'm excited to see you guys all here because, honestly, in this last year, the Lord has granted me so much growth in my walk with Him, and I think a lot of it has to do with this group. Um, just having people my own age being able to encourage and, and share with, and the teaching here is great. And so um, I guess I just, I hope I can do my part in sharing a little with you and helping you guys grow as well. Um, but as Deontay mentioned earlier, if you haven't been here, we're studying the parables of Jesus Christ um, through the summer. And so we're going to look at one tonight. Um, but before I start, I just wanted to pray because um, what I have to say isn't all that important, but I just, I really pray that the Lord would speak to you through what he's taught me. So we'll pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the reminder that we are not worthy of, of this day. Thank you so much for the grace that you've shown us in giving us this day and, and bringing us together, giving us time to worship together. Oh, Father, and I thank you for the, the time in prayer this morning, or right before this, God, that you reminded us that we are part of something so much bigger. Thank you that your hand is not only on this small gathering, but you are working throughout the world, and that we are one small part of the great body of Christ. And, and so I pray that we would come to your word with humility, Lord, that, that we would each desire to know you more, desire to serve you more, God, all for your glory, God, would our, would our focus be on you. I pray just that you would give me wisdom and, and the ability to rightly discern your scripture, rightly teach it, Lord, and, and God, I pray that I would be obedient in, in what you want me to say tonight. Please encourage all of us, bring us conviction and encouragement in this time together. Lord, we pray in your wonderful son's name, amen. All right, um, so the parable that we are studying tonight, um, in one of my Bibles it was titled Labors in the Vineyard, um, Workers in the Vineyard, yours might not even have a title depending on your um, translation, but it's in Matthew 20, 1 through 16, so you can turn there, we won't read right out of it, right away, um, because this is a parable that won't make any sense unless we look at the context around it. We can definitely skew what it's trying to say if we don't understand the conversation that it's in. Um, so the conversation that started this discussion that this um, parable was brought up in, it actually starts in Matthew 19. And it starts with actually a situation that we all know, or most of us should know, um, titled The Story of the Rich Young Ruler. And for those of you who haven't read it in a while or don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, it's this story of this rich young ruler coming up to Jesus Christ and asking, good teacher, what, what can I do to gain eternal life? And so Jesus answers him saying, you keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler responds, I've, I've kept all those since I was a child. And so right away we see his self-righteousness. You know, we all know that we cannot live up to the standard. We cannot live up to the law that God has set. But interestingly enough, um, Jesus doesn't address that self-righteousness right away. But um, 
he continues and Jesus says, okay, if you've kept all those and you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your things, because he's very rich, and give the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he was not willing to give up his riches. He's not willing to give his idol up for Christ. Um, so he went away unsaved, unfortunately. Um, so that's what happened right before this. And then Jesus turns the focus from having the conversation with that rich young ruler to a conversation with his disciples. And he proceeds to tell them, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And this freaks the disciples out. They're like, oh my gosh, who can be saved then? That's impossible. And Jesus responds with a verse that I'm sure we all have heard before. He says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Um, so that's kind of what is happening before this parable. And I just wanted to point out that all those verses, up until verse 27, it is, the focus is eternal life, it's salvation. Um, they're talking about entering into the kingdom of God. And so we're going to pick up reading in chapter 19, verse 27, which comes right after everything I just described to you. So verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and likewise they each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of, and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And just a quick note, that last part of verse 16, for many are called, but few are chosen. Some of you might not have it. Um, and it's because that wasn't in the original manuscripts. It was kind of added later. Um, so I won't really touch on that at all um, as we continue talking. But just a side note. Um, so yeah, that's the parable. 
And if we go back to verse 27 and just start from the very beginning, Peter's question um, in, in verse 27 is where we see his attention, I mean, really shifted in that discussion between Jesus and the disciples. Um, and this question probably stemmed from Jesus' answer to the rich young ruler in 1921. If you want to read it, it's um, Jesus answered the ruler, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And so Jesus told him to sell all his things, and he would gain this, this treasure in heaven. And I wouldn't doubt that Peter at this point started to compare himself to that rich young ruler. You know, he saw, hey, this guy was not willing to give up everything and follow Christ, but I was, you know. And so we see that reading Peter's question. Um, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So right away, we can see Peter's prideful and selfish motives behind asking that question. Um, But interesting to note that in verse 28, Jesus actually answers the question, which is interesting. Um, But just saying that um, they'll sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So he answers it. But he continues in verse 29 um, to kind of start taking the focus again off off the disciples, off the apostles, and again start explaining, and everyone who has left houses. You know, he starts broadening the focus again. He says that everyone who leaves all those things for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So he brings back the topic of eternal life. So he's like, you know, I'm not done talking about this um, eternal life situation. So that was just something I noticed as I was reading, and it was interesting to consider. And then in verse 30, we come to kind of the pinnacle and central theme of this whole parable. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And it's important to note that chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, this parable of the laborers in the vineyard, um, this is, the parable is the earthly illustration that Jesus used to explain this verse um, in 30. And so there's a spiritual truth in verse 30 that um, we're, we're going to look at by looking at, at this parable. And so this parable can be split into four sections, uh, just to help us better understand it. The first section um, is verses one through seven, and this is when the hiring of the labors happens. Um, and that, t- that kind of hiring um, was very typical back in Jesus's day, and it was most apparent during harvest time. Um, a bunch of laborers would gather at this marketplace and just wait to be hired for a day. Like that's how they made their living, is they just stood around waiting for some people to hire them to do some job. Day in and day out, they would do this. Um, And they would go there at 6 a.m. and just wait for work all day. So I guess we see that the first that were hired, um, they made an agreement to work for a denarius a day. And that would be a fair fair wage for a day's work. Um, And then the other laborers were hired throughout the day. They were hired at the third the 6th, the ninth, and the 11th hours, which correlates to about 9 a.m. our time, noon our time, 3 p.m. our time, and 5 p.m. our time. And the workday ended at 6 p.m. So they're hired all throughout the day, and they were promised whatever is right for their labor. Um, so then I guess we can kind of move into the second section, um, 
verses 8 through 10 is kind of where the wages to the workers are, are explained. Um, and this is where the parable begins to intersect with um, that spiritual truth that the parable is explaining from chapter 19, verse 30. Uh, so if we read verse 30 again, but many who are first will be last, and the last first, and then move down to chapter 20, verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Um, and this was a very unusual practice on the owner's part back then, and I think it would still be considered pretty odd now to hire someone late and then pay them first. But it's important to note that this is very purposeful in its intentions on the owner's part. Because um, if those first laborers had gotten paid first, they would have gotten their wage and kind of just left. They wouldn't have gotten to see what the other laborers had gotten paid. And so by being paid last, they got to see every other laborer get paid what they had been promised for a whole day's work. Um, so they clearly saw and recognized the abundant generosity of the owner by being paid last. And so that leads us into the third section, verses 11 through 12, um, which is the complaint of those hired first. Um, so again, because they were paid last, they saw the owner's generosity towards those who worked less than they did. And I think we can all understand where they were coming from, because we all see these kind of situations from our perspective with our own standards and terms. If you work more, you get paid more. That's kind of, I mean, common sense to us, but in that they failed to recognize and consider that the owner alone is the one that sets the terms. The owner didn't have to hire them. And again, he does what he wants with, with his own things. And so when their expectations weren't met, they, and they instead received what they were promised in the first place, they complained. Um, and it's interesting to note in verse 12, if we read it again, um, the, owner, or the laborers were complaining that these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. It's just interesting because they didn't complain about being underpaid because they were in no means underpaid whatsoever. They complained because the owner's great generosity made them equal to the guy that worked an hour. Like he saw no difference between their labors. And in their minds they thought, like, yeah, for sure I'm worth more than that guy who only worked an hour. So they were very upset about the equality that was clearly shown to them. Um, and the owner continues to make that point clear, that he didn't care how long they worked or the quality of their work. Um, they were equal in his eyes. He continues to make that point in the last section, verses 13 through 16. And this is the master's response to the complaints. Um, he reminded them of their agreement and said he did them no wrong. He kept his end of the deal, like they both did. And so why are they complaining? Um, and then in verse 15, he also reminds the laborers that he as the owner does as he wishes. Like, who are they to tell him what to do with his own things? And then he leaves them basically with an exhortation to examine their own hearts about the matter by saying, or is your eye evil because I am good? Like, you saw my generosity and you're jealous of it? Like, check your own hearts instead of complaining against me. And so with that, then we end the parable again with that central theme. So the last will be first and the first last. And so I guess we see 
like I said, that central theme, it's stated at the beginning of the parable, the middle, and at the end. So it's really important that we understand um, just the meaning of this phrase. And it, it's used to portray or show equality. And that's why the laborers complained, because they were considered equal. And so in light of the, that whole central theme of the laborers being equal, um, to bring it to what is that spiritual truth that we are being taught. I mean, it's really just that before receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are all equally lost and without hope. But then after receiving Christ's gift, we are all equally saved. Um, so I guess just a tangent. I don't know um, if there's any unbelievers in here. I hope there's not. And I hope and pray that you all have accepted the gift that Christ has offered us through dying on the cross and rising. But, I mean, just a reminder, we are all equally lost before. I mean, because we all cannot live up to the standard that God sets. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we fall short, um, our inability to keep those standards is disobedience towards our Creator. And that's deserving of death. Um, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the beautiful thing is that Christ took that punishment for us on the cross and paid the penalty for all sin. And by all sin, we come back to the parable. Um, this is kind of the main thing that MacArthur drew out of it when I read his commentary, is that a person who lived a long life of rebellion and sin um, can humble themselves before the Lord and accept Christ at their deathbed. And they will receive the exact same eternal life as, say, Peter in this, in this parable. He was a disciple of Christ. He walked with Christ and served him his whole life. And he died a martyr's death for the name of Christ. And so those two, I mean, think of the criminal that died beside Jesus. He gained the same eternal life as someone who labors their whole entire life. And so that, I guess, is the, the main thing theme, the main, the central idea of this whole parable. And um, I guess it just, what I was super convicted of in studying this is that we are in no way deserving and we in no way earned our own salvation because no one is worthy of salvation in the first place. Um, and I think whether we admit it or not, we all stray at times, even as believers, thinking that we have earned our salvation or deserve our salvation in some way because we start comparing ourselves to others. Um, just as Peter with the rich young ruler, he started comparing himself to that, that unbeliever over there, the guy who wasn't willing to give up everything. And in his eyes, he saw himself as much better. And so it could be as far as that, as far as seeing unbelievers Oh, they're not willing to forsake all, but I am. Like, whoop-de-doo, look at me. Um, but it also could be in more subtle things, as far as, like, if you see someone living in sin being, gosh, they're so lost. Like, I'm so glad I'm not like that. But really, we don't take it a step farther and realize that that was us. Like, be, without the grace of God, we would still be stuck in our sin. Um, and the thing that stood out the most, I think this was one of the things that convicted me the most is, um, even with weak and immature or disobedient Christians, um, comparing ourselves to them as well, um, and not realizing that if they are true believers, they still will gain that same eternal life. Um, and we are supposed to point out sin 
in our fellow believers' lives for their edification so that they can go on glorifying God in their lives. But in my case, and I'm sure lots of other cases, we point out sin because it puffs us up. We point it out because, oh, look at that. I can see that sin in your life, and I'm so righteous. I don't know. This is just what, how I was convicted a lot because I was doing this probably two weeks ago. Um, so I think it's also important to remember the source of why Jesus spoke this parable in the first place. Um, again, this parable was a response to Peter's question that, again, was so clearly, so clearly revealed his, self, his self-centered and prideful heart. And it's, it's so good to remember that we are prone to naturally think and respond that way. And that's why it's so important to cap- take our thoughts captive and, and pray that the Lord would reveal to us our hearts because our hearts are deceitful and no one besides the Lord can know them. Um, so I guess in closing, um, some spiritual principles that you can take away from this and that I hope that when you read this again, you really look for them and meditate on them while you read it. Um, I guess the first one is that God sovereignly initiates and accomplishes salvation. Um, Just as the owner went out seeking all the laborers, the Lord as well is the one who seeks and redeems, and he's the one that shows people their sin. It's all about the Lord. It's all about what he is doing. And so if you read this parable with, with that in mind, you see like it is his vineyard. He went out to hire. He went out to hire. You know, it's his things, it's his grace and generosity that gave them a job, that gave them life, basically, because they were day workers. Um, So that is one really great thing to look for when you read this passage, is it is God and God alone that saves. Um, The second one is that God continues to call all men and women to his kingdom. Um, The owner of the parable went out seeking laborers all throughout the day and at all different times of the day and in the same way the Lord will continue to do that until the final day of judgment and I guess if you're not a believer if you know you aren't or questioning it this is a wonderful truth to camp on that he is always searching for you it is not that it's not that we clean up our act and go to Christ but it is him that is searching for us. Um, And it is him who will do a work in our heart as well. But there is a day of judgment. The Lord will continue to seek out unbelievers until that day of judgment. But we don't know when that is, and so there's an urgency to give our lives to Christ. There's an urgency because there will come a day when it's too late. Um, The third principle to take away is that God redeems everyone who is willing um, those laborers in the marketplace were willing to work. They went there with the mindset of they wanted to work. The laborers that stayed home, I mean, obviously their actions showed that they did not want to work. They're not willing to. Um, so in the same way, like if you don't realize all of our desperate need for a savior, if you don't realize and humble yourself before the Lord, if you are like that rich young ruler and think that you can keep the law all in your own strength and you've kept it since you were a child, I really plead with you to reconsider. Um, because if you don't come with that, that need, 
you know, it's not really being willing to be saved if you don't think you need to be saved. Um, and then the last, last spiritual principle to take away with this is that all who came to the vineyard worked. Um, and this is another thing that recently the Lord has been opening my eyes up to so much. Um, that all those laborers were hired for a specific purpose. And in the same way as a part of the body, we all have our specific purposes in the body that the Lord has called us to and sovereignly ordained before us. And so our focus needs to be on glorifying God's, God and the things that he has given us to do and not compare ourselves to other people all the time and look at someone else and be like, oh, I want to serve the Lord in that, Lord in that way. And I guess I was really convicted of this as far as my husband and I really wanted to do missions. And we wanted to go right away, and we were like, okay, we'll just save up and leave right, right when we can. Because that was something we wanted to do and something we thought the Lord would use us in. But the Lord has so shown us that that is not his will for us right now and we need to be okay with serving him here because um, that is what he's going to be glorified the most in is me doing my part, you doing your part. Like All of us need to do our parts in the body because um, in Ephesians, the body of Christ is likened to like a human body. We've got eyes, we've got ears, we've got noses. And if the nose wants to be a foot, like it's not going to work if every single body part wants to be doing something else. Like We need to be praying for our part in the body of Christ, and we need to be willing and obedient in that because that's how the Lord's going to be glorified. It's not going to be glorified in my will for myself to go be a missionary, you know, as good as I think that is. Um, so I guess that's another thing to take away, and I'll just leave you with um, this thought in John 21, verses 18 through 22, kind of going along the lines of, of we are all called to work, and we are all called to a specific purpose. So John 21, and then verses 18 through 22. And this is a discussion between Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus. Um, and so Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who had, learned of his, who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I think that's just a good thing to meditate on. Like, I don't know about all of you, but as a girl, I compare all the time. And so this has been a scripture that has been so encouraging to me as far as like the Lord's got a specific purpose for my life and it doesn't matter what he's doing in other people's lives. I need to be willing and obedient in the purpose he has set out for me. Um, so that's just kind of what I have been convicted of in this study and I hope that it encouraged you or you know will help you grow as others teaching has helped me grow in the past year um, so I'll close us in prayer and we'll wait for the guys <laughs>
Oh, Heavenly Father, your plans are perfect. Your ways and your thinking is so far above ours. Lord, forgive us for getting so caught up in ourselves, in what we are doing, in our own little lives. But God, would you give us hearts and minds that are focused on your greater glory for your good. Give us minds that are focused on just what we can do to glorify you in the place that you've put us. Well, Father, I pray, God, that, that you would give us clean hearts, you would sanctify us, Lord, and increase in us a desire to please you. God, increase in, increase in us a desire to love you and get to know you more. Father, thank you for this time to be with all these ladies. Thank you so much for the encouragement that you bring through other people. Father, I pray, God, that we would grow to do the things that you have set out for us. We pray this all in your son's wonderful and glorious name. Amen.